Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Let's jump on to identity. If you have taken Victory Weekend, you would be familiar with this book. We use this in our Victory Weekend. It's called Experiencing Victory. And then chapter 5 of this, wo- of this book is identity. And we have used this in the past, and we still use it now. And the verse for this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And let me just read this, okay? This is what it says. If you have taken Victory Weekend, if you have not, I'm plugging this in. Who we are determines how we act. Internal identity dictates external lifestyle. Fish swim because they are fish. Birds fly because they are birds. Sinners live in sin because they are sinners. A fish is not a fish because it swims. Rather, it swims because it is a fish. Nature determines action. And then we... And out of this chapter, we take chosen, holy, and royal as our identity. But I've been going through this, and I've really been exploring this passage. So first, let me say that all scripture is inspired by God. It is beneficial for doctrine, reproach, teaching, and righteousness. What's the fourth one? I forgot. But I have to say, by context... This very verse really is an identity of the nation of Israel. And I'll, and I'll show you why. And I, and I believe you appreciate it. How ident- when God puts an identity on people, you would see that it will be fulfilled and you would see their destiny. So why do I say that this very verse from Peter 2 verse 9, choosing the words chosen, holy, and royal is an identity that was given to the nation of Israel. Well, we have to go back to where it really first started, and it started in Exodus. The book of Exodus, put that please. So this is Exodus. Those of you who, are, who study your Bible, Exodus is the book where, this is where the story where you find Moses was raised, or Moses was called by God to deliver a whole entire nation in Egypt, and to bring them to a new nation out of their own nation. So this is the part where God spoke to Moses and said, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So there you find the words chosen, Holy and royal. Now, what was going on? This is so unique. This is so good. After uh, re- rereading this, a nation who's lived for more than four hundred years under slavery and bondage finally is free. What better way to start than to give them an identity, to tell them that you were been you have been chosen by God, you are royalty. You are separated as a nation among other nations. That means holy nation. 
The word holy is really being separated from the other nation. So, but what better way for God in the heart of God to tell a nation who's been in bondage for more than 400 years to say, I have chosen you as a nation. I have chosen you as a people. I've made you royal in my eyes. And I have separated you from among the other nations in the world. Amen? And that's just how the heart of God is. And I'll get back to that point later on. So what is it? So if this identity was given to Israel, what have they become? And, and I've been exploring this. What has Israel has become? By the way, whenever we speak of Israel, uh, Israel, we also speak about the nation itself. Just, just in case nobody... Just in case you don't know, there actually is a nation named Israel. It's located in the Mediterranean. It's bordered by the Mediterranean Sea, the Red Sea. It is surrounded by desert. It is only about, they call the area the Middle East. It is the smallest among that nation. So what are they now? How do they look like? If God said that, This is the identity that I'm giving you. I am choosing you among every people group in the world. In my creation, I am choosing you. So let's take a look. I've been really exploring this. It's just mind-blowing to really see this. And a lot of people have really been asking, what is it about this nation, Israel, and the people, the Jewish people, that make them stand out from the rest of the world? So here's one. I'll start with inventions. No, let's start with the noble, the noble. I'm, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Noble Peace Prize. Anybody know what the Noble Peace Prize is? It started in 1901. It is given as a prize for people or uh, or organization that had impacted, that has impacted the world through chemistry, physics, medicine, literature, peace, and even economics. Since its, since its inception in 1901, they have given about 850 awards or prizes. Among those 850, 20% of the recipients are from a Jewish ancestry. 20%. 20%. Yet, their population only consists of 0.2% of the world. You would think that China, India, Philippines would probably have, have more recipient because we're more in numbers, but yet, no. Why? People have always been asking, why is it that they're all receiving? Well, I believe it's because they were chosen. Inventions alone. Where's my phone? Oh, there's my phone. Where do you think your phone came from? Apple? First phone that came out was Motorola. It came out from an invention in Israel. The very app that you use, Viber, was invented by a, by a Jewish person. Instant messaging was invented by a Jewish person. The USB that you use is invented by Jewish person. Ten inventions that changed the world. Let me, let me read this to you. Laser. Anybody ever use laser? If you play CD, DVD, Blu-ray... Those are all application of laser, not include, and we, we, you don't even touch the military and the law enforcement. Their form of laser is different from our everyday use. <laughs> Those of you who are in the medicine, pacemaker and defibrillators, invented by your Jewish people. Genetic engineering in agriculture and medicine. The U.S. now is able 
to regenerate heart tissue. Where did you think that started from? Israel. Stem cell research. Pastor Mark talked about it. It was first mentioned in the Bible. God put Adam to sleep, pulled out his rib, reformed, wakes up. Wow, you are now the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. I shall call you woman. That's the first stem cell research that was ever done. Stainless steel invented by the, by the Israelites or the Jewish people. Mass energy equivalence. <laughs> Those of you are following, what in the world is that? Or more known to be E equals MC square. It's not like it was Einstein who actually discovered it, but he was the one who was able to in- give the interpretation on how they are related. Anymore? Cholera and bubonic plague vaccine. It killed millions in the 18th and the early 1900s. Who came out with the vaccine? That very nation that God said, I have chosen you as a nation. Polio vaccine. Where did it come from? Them again. And even this was so great. The, the, the person who discovered the polio vaccine did not patent it. Which means it was open to everybody to create it. So he did not make any money out of it. But it saved so many. Or it changed people's life. Nuclear weapons came from them. Capitalism came from them. This one you're familiar with. Google. Probably you didn't know that. The inventors of Google is... What's your name? Sergey Brin and Larry Page. So all of these people, why? Because they were a chosen people. Because God gave them an identity. I mean, Jewish billionaire. You want to hear who are billionaires in the world? Forbes usually lists the, about a thousand billionaires in the world. The top 50, how many you think are Jewish? Ten out of the first 50 billionaires in the world are Jewish. Coincidence? Here are some of them. Uh, I don't even know if we know them. Larry Ellison, who is he? <laughs> Founder of Oracle, computer literates. I think you would understand this. Michael Bloomberg, mayor, ex-mayor of New York City, Jewish. Sheldon Adelson, I don't know who he is. Uh, creator of Google, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, billionaires, Jewish ancestry. The Dell computer, Michael Dell, billionaire. Coincidence? I don't think so. Uh, Russ Werner, those of you who likes to drink Rockstar energy drink, that's the guy. Jerry Reinsdorp, Chicago Bulls and White Sox owner, billionaire, Jewish background. And of course, one of the, that you might probably know more than anybody else, Mark Zuckerberg. Yes, Facebook founder. Youngest billionaire in the world at 30 years old. Jewish ancestry. Why? You can, you can say it's coincidence. You could say whatever reason. But I believe because God said, I have chosen you as a nation. I have given this identity to you. See, identity, I believe, is not just, uh, we always say it, it's a nature that di- dictates our future. But I believe it is beyond that. It is really a divine endowment that God puts on a people, on an individual and it create and it's uh, along with that are talents, giftings, attributes, all of this. The Jewish nation has a mindset of questioning. I mean, we haven't even looked at their military inventions, which I believe are some of them are classified. But those of you who have seen Star Wars, 
those force field, no longer science fiction. The Israeli military has been using them. The Iron Dome, I don't know if you've heard of this. Similar concept. Anything before anything hits them, they're already shooting it down. Now let's look at the nation. The nation itself, geographically, it's so interesting. It is only one-sixth of one percent throughout the whole Middle East. That's how small it is. It is about the size of New Jersey, geographically speaking. But yet, they are so much... They, I mean, their agriculture, they, they're, the way they're geog- geographically speaking, the northern part of the nation gets snow, but the southern part are all desert. But yet, they have found a way to make agriculture work when there's so much heat and so less water. The very, the, the very position of them where they're all surrounded by oil nation, oil nation, or we say all rich nations, but yet they do not have one. They have been using solar water heater since 1950. How many of you have even used that? They've been into renewable energy. They've been, what they call this, they've been going green for more than 100 years. And we're only touching it now for the, what, for the past 10 years. The way their agriculture works is amazing. I was watching a video because they lived in the desert. I mean, who, are, who among you here are farmers or have touched farming? You, 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 do, you, you do know that you need water, right? What happens when you don't have water? It dies. They have invented a technology called drip irrigation. And in the past 25 years, they have produced seven times more agriculture produce. But yet, they have not increased their water usage. 7%, 7% more or sevenfold more in production, but yet they've never increased their water usage. They have tapped into the salt water. They are one of the leading nations when it comes to desalinization. They are turning their salt water into fresh water, and then they're recycling about 80%, I believe, of their water, and they're sending it to the, uh, to the agriculture. They have found a way where they tapped into the underground water, and, and, what, and even that, when God says the buried place that you're going to live, the very nations that I'm putting you. It's a desert, but yet they found a way to tap into the desert. And the water underneath them, though it's fresh water, it has some salt contents on it. And here comes their ingenuity. Their researchers find, found out that it actually works better for their crops, having a salt, a salt content. So they're really making plants grow in the desert. They're, they call it blooming in the desert. And you know how the Bible says that out of the desert, I'll bring out water out of the desert? That's exactly what they've been doing. They tapped into the underground water. It has salt content. They made it, they were able to produce it. There is a fish industry in the middle of the desert. How in the world can that happen? Salt water fish, freshwater fish, they are farming fish right in the middle of the desert. They found out that that very water underneath them is actually conducive to farming fish. And they would sell it, and it does not even taste any different from the same fish that you you would catch on the water, on the ocean. So is it coincidence? I don't think so. When God gave them an identity, it brought, if you look at them now, they're living in their destiny. Even their solar 
they're the leading country when it comes to solar energy and water res- uh, preservation. They are now bringing it to South African nations where they really need, where, where, the, where the climate is pretty much hot and no water. They have brought their agriculture technology as far as the east, as far as Philippines. They're, they're bringing their technology outside. And that was what God told them. You would be a nation that would reach out other nation. Isn't it not? In, in the chapters in Deuteronomy, that was what God promised them. That you would be a nation that would touch other nation. You would be the one to lend and not to borrow. And it's being fulfilled. Why? Because God gave them that identity. And that's how powerful it is. When God puts an identity on a certain people or a certain group or on people itself, on believers, that God will find a way. I believe God will find a way to fulfill that identity and it will become your destiny. And it's happening now in Israel. Israel is only one of the two countries where they are, instead of their trees, the number of trees declining, they're actually regrowing their forests. They're planting trees. Their forests are getting bigger and their deserts are getting smaller. Imagine that. It's like uh, we use our downtown for barbecue. They actually plant trees over there. Isn't that amazing? I've heard from somebody. I couldn't really find the, I couldn't uh, verify it. How many of you have been to New York? How many of you have you been to Fifth Avenue? That whole strip. It is said that it is one of the most expensive strip in the world. When it, uh, most expensive retail shop are there, jewelries are there, uh, uh, the properties are expensive over there. They have a place called the Millionaire Row over there. I couldn't verify it through Google, you know, through this guy. <laughs> I, cu- I couldn't find a site to verify it, but I've heard from somebody who, who I believe was a little bit reliable. He said that. Most of the shops in Fifth Avenue are owned by Jewish people. And I wouldn't be surprised. The most expensive place in the world are owned by the chosen people of God. Why? Because God said, I will, you would be to me a chosen people. Your country that you live, it will be a holy nation. You will be a royal priesthood. Because of them, we get Christianity. Because of them, we get to enjoy, we get to enjoy eternal life. Isn't that a great church? So now, so now, since I said that was the identity of the nation of Israel, so what is our identity then? Now here comes the hard part. Here comes the transition. Yes, we, we can adapt. I believe, yes, we can. As I said earlier, the, all scriptures are inspired by God. We can take it as doctrine. We can take it as principles. But all throughout the Old Testament, there's multiple and there's, a, there, there's a more than a dozen verses that will tell you that the chosen people of God is really the nation of Israel. And regardless of how you might, you, be, you will be bewildered, why are they such a blessing to other nations? Why are they so blessed? Why are they all millionaires and billionaires? Why are they impact, impacting the nation through their inventions? In fact, the fourth largest airports in the world is Israel. You got U.S., Russia, China, and then little tiny Israel. It's like out of that small nation. Everybody serves in the military in Israel. Even their stamp are kosher. That's what it says. 
which is interesting. So what about us? If this, is the, if this is an identity, and I've showed you how powerful it is when God puts an identity on a nation, then what about us? What is our identity? Well, we, uh, Ben kind of mentioned earlier that because of Christ, we as a Gentile nation are also blessed. Yes, Jesus first came. The gospel was first shared, as Paul would say, it was first to my countrymen, Israel, to, the, to the Israelites. But because they rejected it, now I am going out to the other nations. I am going out. And yes, John 3.16 does say that the whole world. Why? Because God is that good, that he is good to his creation. Well, I believe our identity falls or comes from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Because we are not, we don't have an Israeli blood. We come from a Gentile nation. This is what Paul tells the Corinthian church, which was Gentile. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. Pastor Mark was talking about this last week, how the peace... Sometimes our struggle with peace is a peace with ourselves. Why? Because we cannot get over our mistakes. But yet here it says that everything becomes new. And one, exa- one, one great example about identity has always been Abraham when God changed his name to Abraham. And this applies. This very verse applied to that. Those of you who read Genesis, Abraham, the very first Hebrew, he was first called Hebrew because uh, Hebrews coffee. Anyway, Starbucks, uh, one, one last thing about Israel. How many of you know Starbucks? How many of you enjoy Starbucks? Starbucks went to Israel and went bankrupt. Why? Israel's coffee is so good that nobody bought Starbucks. True. <laughs> Australia is another one. No. So going back to Abraham, sorry, I get distracted. So Abraham, Abraham, we, we, we just, we're just talking about names. Names what? Denotes character. It denotes position. All of this. The name Abraham means exalted father. But God, it, it took a while to circumstances and situation until God said, I will now call you Abraham, which becomes by meaning father of many nations. So what's the difference with Abraham and Abraham? I wish I can tell you all of this. It's really only one letter. In the Hebrew alphabet, Abram to Abraham is only a difference of one Hebrew letter. Abram is Alep Bet Resh Mem. Abraham became Alep Bet Resh He Mem. The word He is the, un- is the word or is the name of God that the Jewish people don't even want to mention when they read their Old Testament that they changed it to Adonai. So it was a name that is intended to be for God himself. So when Abram's name was Abram Alebet Reshmem, when God changed it, what God did was he inserted his own name on Abraham's, on Abram's name. So from Abram, it became Alebet Reshmem. And that's where we get this hair from when Moses actually asked God, Lord, you're, or God, you're, God, Father, or Lord, you're sending me to a nation to deliver them, but yet I do not know who you are. I do not know your name. So God told him, when they ask you who I am and what's my name, you tell them, 
Ehem asher ehem. I am that I am. And since then, the Jewish alphabet or the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people have always designated the word hem or he, that letter, to be God. And that's how God changed Abram to Abraham by putting his own initial on his name. Which was so, it's like, which was so cool because here it says the same thing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he has a new identity. I will no longer call you Abram, I will call you Abraham. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Why? Because now I have put Christ in you. You are now a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But yet, just like Abram or Abraham, he still went back to being Abram once in a while. Why is that so? And it's no different from you and I, isn't it not? We don't need to raise our hand. I think we all know this. Though we have a new identity, why is it that we keep falling back? Why is it that, yes, uh, as, we, as I began by saying, nature di- dictates action, yet we have a new identity as a new creation, but once in a while, or probably more than once in a while, <laughs> we fall back to our old creation mode, our old self or our old man, all of that. Why do you think that is so? Well, I believe this is one of the reasons. Next verse, please. Ephesians 4, chapter 21, 24. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off. First thing you have to do is to put off. Concerning your former conduct, the old man, which goes corrupt according to the deceitful lust. It seems that this is one thing that we probably have not been doing. We have not been putting off the old man. We've been listening to that old man. Next thing we're probably not doing is, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So you put up, renew your mind. What does that mean? Ever seen an elephant in person, live, except for TV? No? I guess all of us are are only, there are a few hands. I guess most of us have only seen it on TV. An elephant can grow as heavy as 24,000 pounds, which is about 12 tons. It can reach the height of about 13 feet. It is one of the most powerful mammals, land mammals in the world. Yet its, uh, its nose is so agile, it can pick a, a, a flower. And at the same time, it's so powerful that it can break branches off trees. Yet, as powerful as an elephant is, it can be chained down. If freely that elephant would use all its power, it probably won't even take an effort to break a chain. But yet, it can be chained down. It can be shackled down. And how is that possible? It begins when that elephant is a baby. When an elephant is a baby, those who, uh, I I believe it's uh, in eastern part of uh, Thailand, what they would do is they would put a collar in one of its legs, put a chain on that collar, and then stake it down to the ground with a wooden peg. At first, the elephant would struggle trying to get free. But then what happens is as he struggles, he also feels pain, a burning uh, pain on his legs as the collar goes around. So eventually, that elephant would give up, and he would just say, you know what, there is no point of struggling because I cannot get out of this shackle. 
So as it grows, it grows in strength. So what they, what they would do is just change the collar to a bigger one to, to fit the size of its leg. Until finally, that elephant just gives up and will not even struggle. So the moment you put that shackles and you put the chain, that elephant would just stay there. The elephant doesn't know that he's so strong that he can easily break that chain. But because he's been in bondage thinking that there is no point of struggling, there is no point of getting out of this chain, he stopped trying. And I believe that's what it is with us sometimes. Because of the situations in our life, the failures that we met, either in finances, relationship, whatever areas in our life that we have failed in the past, we've, we've given up and we feel like there's no point of struggling. We become like that elephant wherein we don't even struggle, not knowing that we actually have a new identity that that past doesn't even bother us anymore. That's why it is about renewing up your mind. The problem with the elephant is not the metal. It is mental. He could easily break that chain, but because his mind has been accustomed to thinking there is no point of struggling, he doesn't bother with it anymore. The moment the owner puts a shackle on his leg, he just stays in one place. That's all he does. Doesn't run away. Only he, if only he knew that he was so powerful, that probably that chain will, will probably just like a, a string that would break. But yet, he has been mentally in bondage that he doesn't realize it. Drink water. Another problem, I think, why we cannot, why we, we, we don't have a victory over our identity or we cannot walk in our de- identity is the next verse, please. Is this. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, or the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen are eternal. We have been looking at the things that are always been temporary. We get affected by what we see and what we feel. Yet we sing every, not every Sunday, but most Sundays we sing the song that, that says, I'm not going to be, what? I'm not going to be, what's that song? No good singer. <laughs> not going to live by what, I, by what I see. I'm not going to live by what I, by what I feel. And this is the same, this is the same encouragement that Paul was telling the Corinthians. In this whole entire chapter tells, Paul even encourages them. When you look at people, when you look at believers, do not consider them according to the flesh. Meaning, do not consider them as the old man. But consider them as a new man, as a new creation. That's what Paul was telling the church in Corinthians. And yet... The fact that Paul wrote it means they were also struggling with it. And I think we also struggle with it. And going back to what Pastor Mark has been preaching and Andy was preaching all this month. So if our, new, if our identity is a new creation, what does that encompass? I think it's so big. A new creation is so big. And so it was so good that we already talked about four of them. We've already talked about how Jesus, because if any, uh, can you bring back uh, 517? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and behold, all things become new. We now find ourselves in the identity of Jesus Christ. 
we have just celebrated Christmas. The only person who was ever born to die was Jesus Christ. But yet, why did Jesus have to die? It was, if you look at the life of Christ, there is no sin in Christ. He did not know any sin. He did no sin. In him is no sin, as the three, uh, as the three uh, John, John, Peter, and uh, James would describe it. In him is no sin. He did no sin. He know no sin, but yet he has to die on the cross. How can a person who has no sin die on the cross? But yet in, in Corinthians, it says that for he, God the Father, made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus had to die so that our sins has to be placed upon him. And he has to come as a man. And we've been, we've been talking about this. Jesus had to be born as a man so that he can pay for the sins of man. And that's the only way because man has to pay for man. So he came and on the cross this, this amazing exchange happened. And we find this all over scripture where it says that, uh, as I just mentioned, it says, For he knew, he knew no sin, but yet he was made sin for us so that in his righteousness we can become his righteousness. It also says in scripture where it says, though he was rich, he was made poor for us. Another exchange that happened. All his richness we got, all our poor our poorness, or all his richness we got, and all our poorness he got. All our sin, all our condemnation. It says, uh, cursed is a man who is hung on a tree. All the curse was placed upon him. A man who had no sin, no curse, no condemnation, no reason to die, had to, so that we can have an exchange identity. Everything that he is becomes us, and all the sin, condemnation, fear, and curse was placed upon him, and it was dealt with at the cross. And God exhausted the judgment and all of that on the cross. See, church, that now becomes our identity. Everything that Jesus had because of the cross, came to us. And we've talked about wonderful counselor. Through the Holy Spirit, it says in John, that who knows the spirit of a man, more, or who knows man more than his spirit? Therefore, who knows, this, who knows God more than the spirit of God? We have been given the Holy Spirit. In Corinthians, it talks, Paul talks about how we, through the Holy Spirit, can speak mysteries and wisdom that the world does not even understand. How many of you have heard this saying or statement, I don't know how true it is, where it says that we only use one-tenth of our brain? Ever heard that? I don't know how true it is. But there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm running out of time. If you add one to nine, you get ten out of ten. You get a completeness. In the book of Psalms, it says that when God created man, he created him with a glory. But we lost that glory when, we, when Adam sinned. But because of Jesus Christ, we get back through the Holy Spirit, everything back. And this is just something I heard. I couldn't validate it. So don't take my word. Research it yourself. But through the Holy Spirit, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's what makes us whole. It is the wisdom. It is the very wisdom of God that he puts on us. The very power of God, as Pastor Mark talked about, what uh, Jesus, when he sent the 72, he said, I have given you authority over snakes and scorpions and to trample on all the powers of the enemy. And that was when he was still alive. 
What more that when he went to the cross, when he said in Acts, all authority, all power has been given to me. And then he gives it to us. Everlasting Father. It says life in the Son. He who has the Son has life. Eternal life. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. And then the peace. As we talked about, Jesus in the, in the, in the book of John where he says before he leaves, he said, My peace I leave with you. Not the way the world thinks of peace. Uh, in our home group, we were talking about this. This is the same peace that Jesus had when he was walking through the cross, when he was walking to Calvary, carrying the cross, but yet he was so peaceful. That same peace was the one that God was giving us. And all of this is in what we just talked about this whole month the identity of Christ. And as a new creation, that's exactly who we are. We have everything that Jesus had. That is our old identity. In closing, I want to close with Gladiator. <laughs> I'm running out of time. Oh, I cannot close without a movie. How many of you have seen Gladiator? Yeah. I know it's a kind of dated. It was released 2000. One of the best shots in Gladiator is that final battle, or not the final battle, but in the scene where the group of Gladiator were supposed to be defeated, where they had to reenact a reenactment where the barbarian hordes were supposed to be destroyed. But what happened was, it, uh, uh, um, Russell Crowe, who was the main character, who, was, who used to be a general, who used to be a commander, who was stripped of his rank, ordered to be killed, escaped, was taken as a slave, became a gladiator, ended up in Rome to fight, and now he's a slave and a gladiator, and yet, all his milita- military training were still coming out of him. So in that scene in the arena, when they were supposed to be killed, they ended up winning. So here comes Commodus. I don't know, uh, I don't know how, how much you guys know, know Gladiator. So Commodus is the son of the murdered emperor. He is now the emperor. He's, he's a self-proclaimed emperor. So he comes down to the arena floor and, and, and wanted to congratulate the gladiator. But the gladiator was wearing his, uh, his helmet. So the dialogue of the story goes, there has been no gladi- there, has not, there has not been a gla- gladiator like you and we should hail you as a hero. So, he, so Commodus asked, asked um, the gladiator, what is your name? Instead, Russell Crowe, with his uh, Australian accent, my name is Gladiator. No, he doesn't sound like that. But he tells uh, the, the, the emperor that my name is Gladiator. He turns around, which he should never do under an, uh, on, with the emperor. So the emperor, played by uh, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, right? Joaquin Phoenix tells him, how dare you turn your back on me, slave. Okay, that's the word. How dare you turn your back on me, slave? You would remove your helmet and you will tell me your name. So with all that drama, Russell Crowe removes his helmet, turns around and says, My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legion, a loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. 
identity, church. In the eyes of Commodus and the whole people in the arena, they're merely slaves and gladiator. A slave that they can easily, by pointing down, can be killed. But yet, in the heart of Maximus, Decimus Meridius, he was still a commander and a general of the army. Though the world and the whole arena looks at them as slaves whose life can be taken away, inside Maximus is still, I am still a commander and a general. Church, the world would look at us like we are a nobody. But if you find your identity in Christ, we would always be commanders and generals just like Maximus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for this word. Father, thank you just for reminding who reminding us of who we are. And Lord, I pray, Father, just I just pray, Father, that we would renew our mind first and foremost. That no matter what the world would say, we would not listen. No matter what the world may think of us. Yes, we have made mistakes in the past. And yes, we have failed so many times. But Lord, according to your word, we find our identity in you. That we would always be commanders and generals inside us. The world may say we're slaves and our lives do not matter. But because we are in you, we are far more than that. And Lord, I pray for our people. Father, minister to us. Lord, I thank you that it took you, that you went to the cross so that we would stand up and say that I am a new creation that the old is gone and the new has come and that you do not even bother to look at my past for you even said that consider no more the former things don't even bring it to remembrance so father I thank you as we end this year may you just remind us that we are a new creation that everything in the past has been forgiven. Everything in the past has been wiped away. Everything in the past has been dealt with at the cross. And I thank you, Lord, that as we stand in this identity, that we would see ourselves like how that nation, how like how nation Israel has found its destiny. And Lord, I even pray, Father, that you would, even on a personal level, you would begin to speak to us personally and just speak, Father, a word to really show who we are and to really speak who we are. This I thank you, and this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One more prayer. If you're here and you happen to have been coming and you've been listening, and for some reason it kind of tugged your heart, 
If everybody can just uh, close their eyes and bow their head, I want to just give an opportunity. We've been talking about God giving identity to a nation, to individuals. But if you're here today and you have not, and you have not ever even decided to follow Christ and to receive Him as a Lord and to be and to believe on who He is, if that's you, I would like to have. A, I want. I want to give you an opportunity just to pray with me. And if that's you, I, I just want to know who you are. And you can just raise your hand and I would pray with you to receive him. Anybody by chance here who's never prayed a prayer, who's never asked Jesus to be the Lord of their life? Anybody? I see that. Why don't you just pray with me? Everybody can just join in. Father, thank you for sending Jesus that through him I found my identity. I found my purpose. And Lord, now I received him to be the Lord of my life, to save me from everything that this life has been doing to me. And from this day forward, I dedicate my life to him. In Jesus' name, amen.